Good afternoon and welcome to this episode of Be More Health Talks, which is the Baltimore City Health Department's community forum on health disparities, health and wellness in Baltimore. It is the one year anniversary since we have started the, the, the health talks just over a year ago. Um, uh, this was started, as you may know, after the unrest. And our goals for this initiative include to discuss citywide efforts to reduce health disparities, to share and collaborate about the work that many different organizations are doing, and ultimately to break down silos and talk about the importance of health as it ties to all other health issues. I'm Dr. Lena Wen, the Health Commissioner. I, I invite you to join us, and if you have questions or comments to share during the talk, please call us at 443-615-0908, 443-615-0908, or tweet with the hashtag BeMoreHealthTalks, all one word. If you missed our last episode, you can listen to it and all other episodes on soundcloud.com slash BeMoreHealthTalks, and we hope that you will suggest speakers and email us at BeMoreHeard, all one word, BeMoreHeard, at BaltimoreCity.gov. Now, I'd like to start today with an acknowledgement of the tragedies that have occurred in the last week in Dallas, in Minnesota, in Baton Rouge, and um, all of us here in Baltimore City um, mourn with our counterparts and our fellow citizens across the country. Now today, we will be speaking about the Zika virus. I will be introducing our guests shortly. We have many esteemed guests from across our leaders across Maryland um, uh, and to talk about Zika. Um, to give the brief background, all of you know that Zika has been in the news. It is a virus that is carried by mosquitoes, although can also be sexually transmitted. Even though Zika has been around and has been discovered over 60 years ago, it is relatively new to the Americas and has been spreading quickly um, throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. The World Health Organization has declared Zika to be a global public health emergency. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has launched um, has uh, activated their emergency operations center at the highest alert. And the major concern is birth defect in unborn babies. Um, and in fact, there have been, just in Brazil alone, there have been over 1,600 babies as of last count who have been born with microcephaly, this severe birth defect that's associated with, with Zika. In the U.S., in the continental U.S. alone, there have been nearly 1,000 cases um, of Zika, all of whom are individuals with travel-associated Zika. There is also, as of this week, a lot happening in Congress um, regarding funding to fight this, this global health emergency. And so what we'll be talking about today with our esteemed guests um, is the fact that there is a lot that we actually do know about Zika, but also a lot that we don't know. And our guests are going to be helping us to separate our facts from myths and will also tell us more about what, what it is that we can do today in order to, 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 uh, to protect ourselves and our loved ones. So we are joined here in our studios here at uh, the Baltimore City Health Department, 101 East Fayette, um, by some esteemed guests. And first, I would like to introduce my, um, my counterpart um, and our uh, and colleague at the Maryland Department of Health and Mental Hygiene, Dr. Howard Haft, who is the Deputy Secretary for Public Health Services at DHMH. Welcome, Dr. Haft. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Dr. Wen. It's a, it's a great pleasure to be here. And this is an important topic to discuss and one that we are working very diligently to make sure that we inform and engage the public. Because as you know, there's no treatment for Zika now, and, and, and our best defense is prevention. Um, I'm very happy to be here. I represent, as you said, the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene and, and serve all the citizens of Maryland in, in the role of, uh, of protecting their health and wellness. So thank you for having me here. Thank you very much, Dr. Haft. And you emphasize an important point that we talk about in public all, all the time about how, how prevention is our, is our best medicine. So thank you. Next, I'd like to welcome Dr. Rob Atlas, who is the chair of the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology at Mercy Medical Center, who has also been a terrific partner with us in many of our efforts here in the city, including Be More Healthy Babies, including Healthy Start, and, um, and so many other efforts to improve care for our most vulnerable. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Wen. It's a pleasure to be here as well. And uh, I guess I represent uh, OBGYNs who care for mothers who are at risk for uh, Zika, and we've certainly seen a number of women coming to us after traveling uh, throughout the uh, Latin America. Um, and so I look forward to the conversation we have. Thank you very much, Dr. Atlas. Next, I welcome Ms. Heather Goodman, who is, the, who is an Associate Research Specialist at the Cary Institute of Ecosystem Studies. Welcome, Ms. Goodman. Thank you. Um, thank you for inviting me. 
Um, I, as you said, I'm a research specialist at the Curie Institute of Ecosystem Studies. I'm also with the Baltimore Ecosystem Study. Um, and for over the past four years, going on five years, our group has been um, working in West Baltimore trying to identify um, the ecological characteristics um, that influence mosquito infestations across neighborhoods and um, specifically looking at Aedes albopictus, which is the Asian tiger mosquito and is invasive and pretty prominent in the inner city. Thank you. Um, next, I'd like to welcome Dr. Richard Katz, who is the Chief Medical Officer at Mount Washington P Pediatric Hospital. He's also the Medical Director of the Feeding D Disorders Program there. Welcome, Dr. Katz. Thank you for having me. Uh, our job at Mount Washington Pediatric Hospital is to help care for children who have complex medical needs. Um, and we hope that we don't see any patients who have had Zika virus, but it's a characteristic part of what we do to take care of children with uh, neurologic and physical uh, abnormalities resulting from congenital diseases as well as acquired diseases. So um, we, we hope we don't have to see anyone, but we are prepared if that's necessary. Thank you. Um, next we have Ms. Don O'Neill, who is our Deputy Commissioner for Population Health and Disease, and Disease Prevention here at the Baltimore City Health Department, who has spearheaded so many of our wonderful efforts here, um, in, uh, including most recently with um, helping us to lead the citywide, um, our, 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 uh, our agency, our multi-agency citywide plan to, uh, to, 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 to prevent Zika here in Baltimore City. Welcome, Don. Thank you. So as my role as the Deputy Commissioner, I oversee two programs that are specifically impacted by um, the Zika virus coming to Baltimore, potentially, and that would be the Office of Public Health Preparedness and the Office of Acute and Communicable Diseases. And both of those offices are key responders as we move forward. Um, within that role, as Dr. Wen mentioned, our team led a citywide approach um, to prevent and protect the citizens of Baltimore uh, from potentially uh, acquiring the Zika virus. So I look forward to talking about that today. Great, and next, um, Ms. Mary Beth Haller, also in the Health Department. She is our Assistant Commissioner for the Bureau of Environmental Health. Um, and um, has assisted us with so many different environmental health issues in our, um, in, in our city and now with Zika and, and, and our response citywide. Welcome. Thank you, Dr. Wen. I'm very pleased to be here to discuss this important issue. Um, in the very near future, uh, actually beginning now, beginning next week, we've already started responding to complaints from citizens about standing water. We're using this as an opportunity to educate the public on how to help eliminate habitat. We're also going to be beginning, be beginning surveillance activities um, in neighborhoods around the city to try and determine the prevalence and the type of mosquitoes that we're seeing, and that will help guide our response. Thank you, and last but not least is one of my counterparts um, who is the health officer at the Anne Arundel County Department of Health, Dr. Jaylene Chen. Um, welcome, Dr. Chen. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Wen and esteemed colleagues. I'm really glad to be here to discuss this very important topic, especially as we are right in the middle of mosquito season. I think that the information will be very pertinent. Um, I am the health officer not only for Anne Arundel County, but also the city of Annapolis, which is the capital um, for Maryland. And so our, uh, my role, as is Dr. Wen's, is to work very closely with um, counterparts in the county as well as within the state to preserve, protect, and promote the health of all people um, who reside and work in our county, so very glad to be here. Well, we have seven guests and, um, and just under an hour now, and so I remind for those of you who are listening, um, please tweet uh, hashtag Be More Health Talks or call our call-in number, which again is 443-615-0908, 443-615-0908. So I'm going to direct the first question towards Ms. O'Neill and ask her, um, if there's no vaccine or cure, what can be done? How, what, what, what would you recommend for us to stop Zika from spreading? Well, I'd like to go back to my schooling in public health and really talk about prevention. Uh, prevention is our only defense at this point for the Zika virus. And when I, when I say the word prevention, you're going to hear from all of our guests today about the work that's happening across the city and the state. Um, but we're really talking about prevention around mosquito control, prevention individually for um, individuals to not be bitten by a mosquito and uh, the prevention of sexual transmission of the Zika virus so we have many facets um, mosquito control I'm sure Miss um, Haller will talk about and uh, that's preventing 
habitat within individual communities. Um, wearing repellent would be uh, the way to protect from bites, obviously, and protective clothing. And then sexual transmission using a condom if you believe you may have been infected. And we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, down the road. Thank you very much. Now, Dr. Haft, can you give us the lay of the land? What is happening in Maryland? Um, how concerned are, are you about Zika? And what is the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene doing? Um, certainly. They, you know, I think we are all, I think, appropriately concerned about Zika because it is a, it is a unique um, disease. There's never before been a disease known to mankind that have these four characteristics that it's viral, mosquito-borne, also sexually transmitted, and causes birth defects. So because it's unique, I think we have a higher level of concern than if it was just another disease that we knew how to deal with and had a template for. So in many ways, we're creating our, our prevention template as we go forward on this disease. And the lay of the land is that we have these mosquitoes all across the state, the mosquitoes that can carry this disease. The lay of the land additionally is that we have travelers all over the state in every county who have traveled and will continue to travel to areas where there's active Zika transmission. And those individuals, whether they know they have the disease or not, as you know, 80% of the people who contract Zika don't ever know they have it, never have symptoms. But those individuals can return here and either transmit the disease through a mosquito bite or through sexual transmission. So we are preparing, instructing, and engaging the public to particularly around women who are pregnant or who may become pregnant, to know about those risks and to prepare themselves. So if there's no risk for sexual transmission and if you never get a mosquito bite, you're safe. That's, that's, the, that's the gold standard. That's what we're striking for. Now, speaking of, of mosquitoes, Ms. Goodman, um, tell us about what type of mosquito surveillance the Cary Institute does and um, what does the Baltimore mosquito population look like in terms of Zika and public health? So um, for starting in uh, 2012, our research group have been um, sampling mosquitoes um, weekly for larvae as well as um, every three weeks with adults. Um, and so we have a pretty extensive knowledge at this point of you know, what our mosquito populations look like. Predominantly, like the main mosquito we will catch is Aedes albopictus. It is the Asian tiger mosquito. It's highly invasive. It is known um, to be a competent vector for Zika virus. Um, however, its feeding behaviors does make it a little more different than Aegypti, which is what's um, transmitting Zika in um, countries that are, are experiencing local transmission. Um, fortunately for us, Albopictus kind of likes to feed on whatever it wants to feed on that's a mammal. So um, whereas Aegypti will feed human to human, um, Albopictus will um, kind of feed on like whatever it comes in, in account, uh, into contact with, um, which, I mean, it is a vector, but you know, not, not Aegypti. I see. And so, Ms. Haller, how, how would you advise people to prevent, um, to prevent mosquitoes from breeding in their yard? You had mentioned standing water, but what are some things that, 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 can, be, that, that can be done? The primary way to prevent uh, transmission of, of Zika, really, is to eliminate the habitat. And because the type of mosquito that Ms. Goodman was referring to, the Aedes albopictus, is a container breeder, it needs very little water in which to breed. The amount of water that's left in a bottle cap, um, in just the, the rim of a, of a plastic bin that's turned upside down, um, items in the yard, toys left out, old tires, there are many areas that contain small amounts of water that are ideal and preferred habitat for this particular mosquito. So what you can do um, immediately to help protect yourself is to look in your immediate area, look in your backyard, look around your home, and eliminate those sources. If you have items that could go to the junkyard, go ahead and arrange a pickup through Department of Public Works. If you can um, go ahead and turn over items that are holding water, do that. Unused pot, uh, planters, um, pots, plastic bins, really anything that can act as a container for water um, should be immediately eliminated. You may have neighbors that aren't able to do that. Assist your neighbors, work with your community, join a community cleanup. There are many, many ways that we can immediately help eliminate habitat. 
So a couple months ago, um, Dr. Haft, Dr. Chan, and I, among others, attended a, a roundtable that, that, that Senator Ben Cardin had put, had put together. And I remember, Dr. Chan, you said something that I say quite frequently, which is that all public health is global, all public health is local as well. Tell us what this means when it applies to, to, to Zika. Well, you know, it, it is that all local health you know, all health is local, all public health is local, and what that means is ultimately, you know, we are the ones that are closest to the communities, um, and when there is a potential case, or if there's an increase in a mosquito population, such as um, Aedes albopictus, or if there's an identification of the Aedes aegypti mosquito, that it really is um, the local health departments, the boots on the ground that will be the closest to the community to try to address those issues. And so the work that I know that the Baltimore City Health Department has been doing, as well as the Anne Arundel County Department of Health, is that if there is something that is of public health concern um, as it relates to Zika, then we are out in the community going door to door, doing some very targeted um, education. The campaign that we've been pushing in Anne Arundel County is our drain and cover campaign and um, we borrowed this from the Florida Department of Health to try to address exactly the issues that um, uh, Ms. Haller was talking about in terms of how important prevention is in people's backyards. So we're really trying to work with our community associations, homeowners associations, and individually with property owners and tenants to do just that, to clean up their backyards. And so that's very important, those boots on the ground. Wonderful. Well, we are getting some questions from Twitter and through our call-in, so a reminder that if you have questions for us, tweet us at Be More Health Talks and call us at 443-615-0908. I'd like to direct the um, next question to Dr. Atlas that came through over Twitter. Um, They're actually definitional questions, and I'm I'm remembering that we do have many specialists around the table. We are using um, perhaps some jargony words. It's my fault for starting it, but um, Dr. Atlas, can you... Help us understand what is microcephaly, and also what do you mean by a vector? Okay, Uh, so let's take the microcephaly question first. Microcephaly is, by definition, a small head size. Um, It's a maldevelopment or underdevelopment of actually the brain itself, which as a a neonated, well not neonated, a fetus is developing in the womb, the way that the brain grows and the head grows is based on the inside. when you have a very small brain, um, these lead to tremendous intellectual disabilities. A vector is a, um, a way that uh, uh, viruses or disease get transmitted. So in the example of the uh, 80s aegypti, what's happening and the, the risk that our population has here is the people who, are lead, who have traveled to a zone who get infected they, they can uh, transmit it sexually to their, to their partner, but the risk to the population is really if they get bitten by uh, one of these um, mosquitoes and then the mosquito gets the infected blood, that's where it can then start traveling amongst our population. So that's where our biggest risk is. Excellent. Um, uh, let me, if, I, if you don't mind, I'll stay on you for a second sure. because I, I'd like to ask you, um, about what types of questions have you been seeing from pregnant women? Because I'm quite certain that this is the population that we're the most concerned about. And so have they been concerned? Have they been worried? Have they been directing questions? So, so it's interesting. I think that um, we've had a number of women who have gone on vacations to Latin America, to the Caribbean, and have come back concerned about it. Um, I must admit that many of the women are not all that concerned. and. When we ask about testing, uh, some don't actually want to have testing. Um, So it's actually quite interesting. I mean, we've tested a number of women. Uh, We have not had any positives as as of this time, but there's a varying degree of concern and and lack thereof. Hmm. So what what recommendations are there for testing? So uh, first of all, what are the recommendations for pregnant women visiting areas of active Zika transmission? But also, second, what, what, what's the advice for them when they return in terms of getting tested for Zika? So first of all, we're, we're actually advising women not to travel to Zika-infected areas. So if you know you are pregnant or are thinking about getting pregnant, um, we really advise not to travel uh, to any of these areas. Um, 
we unfortunately have had a number of women who have just had in, uh, in vitro fertilization a week before you know before you know before they were traveled down in these areas and come back and get the IVF, which um, is interesting for us healthcare providers. Um, but we recommend that they get tested uh, upon return. Um, the best opportunity to know if you're infected is within two weeks of um, that travel period. And these are the recommendations from the Federal Centers for, 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 for Disease Control and Prevention as well, that, the, that women who are pregnant should not travel to areas of active Zika transmission. There are currently over 61 countries. The three of our territories, including Puerto Rico, have active Zika transmission. And so um, for, those, for those who have further questions about it, cdc.gov is a good website to, to take a look and, and see. Uh, Dr. Katz. You know, I think one of the issues about people, women who might not want to get tested, is that people don't appreciate the downstream problem that happens with this. Uh, microcephaly does mean small head and implies that there's a small brain, but it's much, much more devastating than that. Many of these children not only have intellectual disabilities, they don't hear, they don't see, they're unable to walk. This can be a very devastating illness, um, and it's very devastating to the child and to the family as well. Um, there are, we don't have a lot of experience with Zika and microcephaly, but we have a lot of experience in this country with other causes of microcephaly, other viral causes of microcephaly, and unknown causes of microcephaly. And it's a debilitating disease. And I think if people understood how serious this was, they would be much more careful about travel and much more careful about testing. The, the press, as I've listened to this over and over for the last several months, have not emphasized that. You know, microcephaly is a term that they use, but I'm sure the reporters don't even know what that means. Um, and so it doesn't get translated to the, pub the public in general. You know, I think you know, having sessions like this and discussions like this are vital uh, for the lay population to understand that this disease isn't so problematic to the person who gets bitten by the mosquito, but it's problematic to the unborn child. And this is the difficulty with everything in public health, that it's not just about an immediate effect, it's about effects that are seen potentially by others and for quite a long time to come. I mean, the CDC has estimated that the lifetime cost for a child born with microcephaly for health, education, economic costs could be up to $10 million, yeah. which is a staggering sum if, I mean, Brazil, if there are over 1,600 children already born with this, what is the cost to society as well? Right, uh, and there's, there's much more in terms of cost to society. There's also cost to the parents. In this country, we have two, uh, two, fam we have two family members who are both providers one of them usually has to leave work, um, so there's lost revenue to the family, there's lost taxes to the government, there's you know, lost re lifetime revenue uh, for that family as well, um, in addition to the additional costs that families have with children with these problems. Great, and, um, and Dr. Haft, can I ask you also, for what are the most recent recommendations from the state? For, for example, if someone says that they're concerned that they have Zika, how would you decide whether they, they need testing? What is your advice for, for patients and providers? So, the, uh, Dr. Wen, that's an excellent question. And before mosquito season, we were very focused on travelers, and we wanted to make sure that anyone who traveled and had symptoms, or if a pregnant woman traveled to an area of active Zika transmission, uh, we specifically wanted to test them. Um, and we knew without mosquitoes around um, before mosquito season, there was no real chance that it would be transmitted by mosquitoes before mosquitoes have hatched out. But now that we're in mosquito season, we've changed that guidance, and this is very significant. Now we're saying to anyone who has the characteristic symptoms of Zika, that is a fever, a rash, and conjunctivitis, pink eye, that they should consult with their, their healthcare provider and be considered for testing. Because now we will never know if there is a case that's transmitted by mosquitoes. It's not travel-related unless we focus on those who are symptomatic with the characteristic symptoms. Knowing full well that many people will have a fever and a rash and conjunctivitis, particularly children, and that doesn't mean they have Zika, but they should be considered for testing now. And a question came, uh, came up over Twitter. Um, again, reminder to tweet us at B, uh, hashtag Be More Health Talks or to call us at 443 I'd like to direct this to Dr. Katz because it's specifically about kids. Um, does Zika impact kids? It, it, um, 
children who are born who are alive and existing right now will get uh, the symptoms that Dr. Half described. We'll get conjunctivitis, you know, pink eye and rash and, and fevers, um, but it does not cause brain injury or neurologic damage uh, that people are associating with the unborn children. And that's one of the common myths around is that um, those children would be affected as well, and they, they, they will not be. Thank you. And another question that came up over Twitter that I'd like to, to direct to, to, uh, to Ms. O'Neill is that um, it's about the Olympics, that many athletes have said that they're not traveling to the Olympics for fear of contracting the virus. And so is it safe to go to the Olympics or other parts of, of, of Latin America? So I think this is really a discussion that you need to have with your own personal physician. Um, we believe you can go to Zika-infected areas and protect yourself by wearing appropriate clothing, uh, long sleeve shirts, long sleeve pants, wearing repellent, putting permethrin on your clothing, um, staying indoors when possible, uh, being in air conditioned places. But ultimately, if you're considering pregnancy or um, have a partner that would like to be pregnant soon, it's something we think you should avoid. Um, there are Olympic athletes that have clearly decided not to go because they're planning a family and um, it's it's a difficult decision but it's a personal decision that one needs to make with their physician and it's been a point of contention also about whether to cancel the the, the, the Olympics Absolutely. I know that we've had conversations about this as well mm -hmm. and I wonder if you can help us understand what the World Health Organization what their thought process was certainly so the World Health Organization has put out information and stated that they do not believe that travel to the Olympics will cause global outbreak of Zika uh, we know that every day leaving Baltimore there are airplanes headed to Jamaica and St. Croix and all of the Caribbean islands as well as all over South America, places where the Zika virus is endemic. And at this point we have not seen local transmission here in um, the United States, uh, the United States proper I guess. Um, so they, the World Health Organization is really saying that they don't believe that this will cause a, a worldwide outbreak because there is so much um, global travel, yes. Someone has called in with a question, and um, Dr. Chan, I wonder if I can direct this sure. to you, about whether you get a person gets immunity to, uh, to Zika once they've contracted it. Yes. Um, so yes, uh, we believe that um, people, once they have contracted Zika, do um, retain immunity to the Zika virus. But one of the things that um, folks are certainly working on right now is the vaccine, and there is no vaccine. Just as there's no cure right now for the Zika virus disease, there's also no vaccine. And vaccine certainly is the goal and what we ultimately are hoping will um, combat the uh, epidemic that is occurring now. Thank you. Dr. Haft, you were saying uh, yes for, for, for immunity? Yeah, yes, for, yes for immunity. To the best of our knowledge right now that once someone has, the, has passed having the active disease, they develop a lifelong immunity. It's mirrored in the fact that we see the development of the typical antibodies, IgM and IgG, which are signs usually that you developed immunity. And, and from past experience, from previous outbreaks, it appears that there's immunity. Also, um, and relative to that, if a woman has had Zika, whether or not it affects her pregnancy, it would not affect subsequent pregnancy. So a woman can go become pregnant a year, two years, five years, 10 years later, and it doesn't mean that they will have subsequent birth defects related to Zika. So carrying this forth, would you recommend for all women of childbearing age who are thinking of having children in the future to go travel to, to Latin America so that they could develop immunity? So, not exactly, <laughs> but what I do recommend, and I know all of my, you and all of my other colleagues in public health have recommended this for years, forever, as one of the most potent tools that we have um, is family planning. So I think there are, as we know, there's 70,000 live births in Maryland each year. Of those, to the best of our knowledge, only about 50% of those are planned. If 100% of the pregnancies were planned, everyone planned around travel <coughs> and Zika and risks, we would not have a significant risk for this preventable kind of birth defect. So I, I would say that I wouldn't encourage people to try and get Zika. Um, we know that there may, there may be a vaccine sometime in the future, um, but I would encourage careful, careful family planning because the risk is ultimately to 
unborn children. And, and we should plan, we should always plan around that. Thank you, and it's a reminder based on what Dr. Chan and Dr. Haft have just highlighted that there is a lot that we know about Zika, a lot that we don't know too. As Dr. Chan mentioned, we don't yet have a, vac a vaccine, which is tricky, and there's no cure either for Zika, which again is, is very challenging as we're informing people about this. And one of the difficulties I know that I've had um, here in the Baltimore City Health Department is as we've, um, as we've gotten educational messages out to our community, it's hard when the evidence and the science is quickly evolving and information changes almost on a daily basis. I mean, this is what Dr. Frieden, the head of the, the, the CDC has said, what others have said, but that you know, it's, a, it's important for us to message this as it is quickly evolving, that there are things that we know, there are things that we don't yet know, the issues of immunity, the issues of, of vaccine, we can know based on, or we can say this is based on our, uh, the most available evidence now, but it is quickly evolving. And so it leads to a lot of uncertainty in some of our answers to our community, but we also believe that it's important to give the as much information as we, as we, have, uh, as we have available. Um, may I ask, Ms. Ms. Goodman, okay. are there other parts of the country or other parts of the world that people should be concerned about when looking at the, at the mosquito pop populations of distribution? So can you describe maybe some areas that people might not think about, but that actually could be areas where, where, where Zika could be, could, could, could be transmitted? Yeah, so one, one of the big things that our group um, has been trying to, and I've been seeing it a little bit more in like some news articles, is that the role that like not, like, Aedes albopictus may play in, in Zika transmission. We, we know that Aedes aegypti is, is a vector, um, and it's what's um, transmitting right now in endemic countries, but um, so there's this, any, how do I word this? Um, I would be a little concerned with uh, areas that do have uh, persistent populations of albopictus mosquitoes. Um, Especially if they are coming into in a con if they're in areas where um, there is a lot of human contact, because in order to get the virus, the mosquito needs to bite an infected person, and then pick up the infection and then bite another person. And as I mentioned previously, Aedes albopictus is a little bit more promiscuous. But if you have like we see, we've done blood meal analysis in West Baltimore where we see have seen um, areas that have more. Um, bigger populations of, 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 of humans, we, we get a lot of human feeding. So what I'm trying to say is that, you know, I, countries that have, a, I, I would look at Aedes albopictus as well as like a potential vector for Zika. Well, I've seen these, uh, these maps um, in, in for, 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 for the U.S., that the distribution of Aedes aegypti, distribution of albopictus, and yeah. they extend, it's not just the Gulf and Southern states. It's yeah, yeah, and so... Yeah, so the, the thing is with, um, that we have to our advantage is that we have real winters too. So um, in countries that don't um, experience harsh winters, because mosquitoes are not active in the wintertime, um, those transmissions just come to like a halt. Um, and Egypti just doesn't do well in, in, harsh, in harsh winters. Um, I know that there is reports that there are that there is an established Egypti population in DC, but to our knowledge and our surveillance, we actually haven't seen it um, an established uh, population in, in Baltimore City, Thank which you. is good to know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Question came up over Twitter, and this one I know I, I will direct to to, uh, to to Ms. Heller, who in her role overseeing environmental health also oversees animal control. How does Zika affect animals? Um, according to the CDC, there are no known transmission cases um, to, animal, to, to pets. So if you're concerned about your pet, while the mosquitoes may bite your pet, um, the, the pets themselves aren't contracting Zika. And the second qu question to follow up on that is, are there any risks to, um, would you recommend spraying your pet with, with DEET? I would consult with my veterinarian before um, doing anything like that. All right, and um, and this one and the the next question is um, uh, came up over our phone call, which again, or phone our call number, which again is four four three six one five zero nine zero eight four four three six one five zero nine zero eight, and tweet as at be more health talks. Um, for the um, for so this is from an individual who has returned from a country with active Zika transmission ongoing, and they are and they are wondering about what precautions a returning traveler should take. 
Certainly. Um, well, what we're suggesting is that all individuals returning from a country that has endemic Zika, uh, that they wear bug repellent or insect repellent for up to three weeks. That's every time you go outdoors, you utilize the repellent. We also are asking individuals, based on whether they had symptoms of Zika while they were away or when they returned, um, or if they did not have symptoms, to utilize condoms. So an individual that has had Zika symptoms, we suggest that they use condoms or abstain from sex for up to six months. Individuals that don't have uh, any symptoms, we suggest that they use condoms or abstain from sex for eight weeks. And if you did have symptoms when you were away, we suggest you visit your primary care physician immediately upon return. Absolutely, and the key reminder here too is for pregnant women because the concern is for pregnant women and so Absolutely. this is why because there has been documented male to female sexual transmission, that's why condom usage is, is Absolutely. so important. Um, now on to what it is that we're doing here in Maryland and in our local jurisdictions. Um, Dr. Haft, I know you had mentioned before about the likelihood of Zika coming to Maryland. and. I wonder if you can tell us more about the planning that has been done um, in Maryland in coordination with the CDC, in coordination with other, uh, with cities, counties, and, and other agencies. Sure, Dr. Wang. So Zika is not only is coming, it's, it's here in Maryland. It's all travel related or sexually transmitted now. We've had 31 documented cases, and I think there's certainly a, that doesn't represent all of the people who have had Zika. There's only those who would tested and, and have had positive tests. So our, our goal is to, of course, limit the spread to particularly to pregnant women. So the response now is primarily to inform, educate, and engage the public so that each individual, every one of our seven million Maryland, Marylanders can know what they need to do to protect themselves. And we're actively going out into every community in the, in the state. The local health departments had, um, during Zika Awareness Week, which was proclaimed by the governor, an opportunity to do that in a blanket way before mosquito season. We continue to do that in, in, through public service announcements, through the press, through, uh, um, through every modality that we can engage and inform the public. But as you know, and as, as I think has been abundantly pointed out here, this is a very nuanced kind of disease, talking about just the things that you just spoke about in terms of the timing for refraining okay. from um, unprotected sex and protecting from mosquitoes. So it's a challenging message to educate everyone about. So we're going to continue to do it in a repetitive way. And very specifically, when we identify individuals any place in the state who have active Zika disease in their blood, we coordinate a response together with that local health department or with the city um, and the Maryland Department of Agriculture and particularly aggressively inform an area around that individual um, that they um, that there's a risk so that everyone can take protection protective measures and we abate the mosquitoes when we say abate we mean kill we get rid of the mosquitoes to the greatest extent we can in those in that immediate area so to prevent the immediate spread of the disease and that's the ongoing program now so if if there's and we don't know, but if there is an evolution to a more than, than just travel related, we would have a more aggressive approach um, to mosquito abatement and to informing the public. But I particularly appreciate the opportunity for you having all of us here today to use this as one of those venues to help inform the public. So thank you very much for that. Absolutely, and thank you for your, for, for, for your leadership and for informing us about the work that, that, um, that the state is doing. Before I, uh, before I get to what Anne Arundel County and what Baltimore City are doing, um, interesting question came up over Twitter to Ms. Heller. Is there any point to having mosquitoes? Do they do any good? Well, they're part of our natural ecosystem, so yes, they, they are part of the natural chain of the ecosystem. Um, birds eat them, they feed on them, other animals do. So perhaps maybe I'll, I'll ask this in a different way and say that it, um, why should we, or um, we've heard about spraying, so what is the recommendation around spraying? What, what would happen if we sprayed every day for, for, um, for, 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 for mosquitoes? Well, if we did that, ultimately, the mosquitoes would develop a pretty good resistance to whatever spray was being used. This is one of the reasons why spraying is not 
sort of the go-to answer when it comes to um, mosquito control. It really is all about reducing habitat and eliminating that source and the breeding ground for mosquitoes. And the recommendation is not for tar or is for targeted spraying, but not for under, spraying all the time. That's right. Under the appropriate circumstances, um, given a, a certain quantity of mosquitoes, uh, certain conditions present, um, some limited spraying um, may be recommended. Thank you. And Dr. Chan, you had mentioned before about the you said the drain and cover the drain and cover mm -hmm. campaign. Can you tell us more about the, um, the preparations that Anne Arundel County has taken and also what other resources might you need that you currently don't have at the moment? Thank you. Well, um, definitely Anne Arundel, much like every other um, jurisdiction um, in the state of Maryland, has been working very closely to prepare for mosquito season. And um, Anne Arundel County, we have done um, approximately seven operations now um, to in, in targeted communities where um, there's been a risk, a public health risk. And so we have gone door to door and knocked on doors, talking to residents within the defined area and providing information um, to prevent um, uh, mosquito breeding. We have also done actually property inspections where we have walked around backyards and inspected them to try to identify and also to educate homeowners about areas that they may not have realized might be potential mosquito breeding grounds. And in that effort, we have tried to dump those sites when possible. Um, this has been all done very closely coordinated with the Maryland Department of Agriculture's Mosquito Control Program, which has really been a tremendous partner um, with our health department and across the state to um, do this effort. I think that it's important to emphasize that at this point, um, there are no known locally transmitted cases of Zika in the continental United States. I wanted to emphasize that again. The work that we're doing right now at the local level is to prevent that from happening. And so definitely the traveler education such that when they come back, as Ms. O'Neill indicated, you know, to do all precautions that they can to prevent mosquitoes from biting them while they're back in the United States, the precautions against sexual activity for certain periods of time, all of that is to prevent the possibility of a local transmission. And what that means is a mosquito that is a Maryland resident <laughs> biting another human and has Zika. So that's what we're trying to prevent. You know, the resources that we're using is our local health department staff as well as Department of Agriculture staff. And so certainly the discussions that are happening on the national level regarding Zika funding and such are very, very critical to us because as our staff are going out and doing this work, there are things that we believe, you know, we're certainly prioritizing um, many of our normal day-to-day -day activities in different ways, but there are things that are being delayed and so we are still working very hard to protect the public's health in everywhere else that we um, are in, including restaurant inspections, housing inspections, and you know STD work and things of that nature, but certainly because this is such a priority, um, so those resources are very important not only for us as a local health department, but the entire infrastructure of mosquito control in the state of Maryland. Such an important re reminder to all of us that public health cannot just be about whack-a-mole for when there are emergencies that occur. We can't set up an emergency response system from scratch, which is also why um, the work that everyone here is doing is so important, but that's also why we need additional funding from our, um, from our federal legislators as well. Um, the, so President Obama asked, the, um, asked Congress uh, to allocate $1.9 billion for a national response to Zika, including with developing a vaccine, but also to support um, uh, states and cities on the front lines and counties on the front lines who are, um, who are preparing for Zika. That amount has not been appropriated, and so it's resulted in a number of challenges on our end. And I'll turn to Ms. O'Neill to talk to us more about the city's response, the funding challenges that we have had, um, and also take this opportunity to address, um, to acknowledge some of our other uh, Baltimore City Health Department leaders who are in the room, who have been critical in leading our Zika preparedness efforts. So Jennifer Martin, Director of the Office of, of, of Public Health Preparedness. We also have Mary Grace Slight, who is the Director of Acute Community 
communicable diseases was here, and Anya Fries was been instrumental in, in assisting us in this process. So I'll address the funding concerns first, Dr. Wen, and I think Dr. Chan and Dr. Haft will agree with me on this. Across the board, um, the cuts that the CDC had to make to public health emergency preparedness dollars to fund any Zika work um, have been crippling to our public health infrastructure. You know, it's we live in a very delicate situation funding-wise uh, in terms of being able to provide that infrastructure that every local health department and state health department need to respond quickly to emerging infections, to unrest in cities across the country. I mean, I think people need to understand that public health is in every, um, every situation in local jurisdictions, and we very often do not have the critical infrastructure necessary and the staffing resources necessary to be doing our normal day-to-day -day work that protect um, citizens every day, but then to respond to these emerging issues. So funding is critical, and we, we hope everyone who's listening here reaches out to their representatives and support funding for critical infrastructure for public health. So that's my soapbox. Um, when talking about what the citywide plan is, I, I just have to thank Dr. Wen and our mayor for their leadership. And when Zika was in the news in the early fall of last year and in the winter, um, Dr. Wen and the mayor really took this seriously and really had an all-hands-on-deck approach to a city plan. And what we did as the health department was pull together a group of city leaders and determine our agency partners' roles across the city and how to protect the residents from Zika and city employees. We don't want to forget all of our city partners who have individuals that are working outside every day and that could potentially be at risk. And what we put together as a team, and I really emphasize this, uh, the teamwork piece, is a three-prong approach. Um, the first approach is the mosquito surveillance and response to standing water. So across the city, no matter what agency you work for, there are individuals out working in the community. They may see standing water, they may see habitat, whether it's bulk trash in an, in an alleyway. Um, we've put uh, procedures in place where there is a 311 number to call that is either ref that's referred to the appropriate organization within the city to ensure that those things are cleaned up and that the um, habitat for mosquitoes can be taken care of. The Baltimore City Health Department annually responds to about 80 standing water calls on average. We have had 80 standing water calls in the last two weeks, I think. So people are really under, starting to get that um, standing water is a problem, and they're reaching out through city services, and, and we're getting out there and taking care of those things. The second thing that we are very involved in is case investigation. So those individuals Dr. Atlas was talking about um, who, are, who have traveled and have come home and maybe had symptoms, maybe not, our acute communicable disease team are daily taking calls from physicians and recommending um, whether or not folks get testing. And then once the testing results come back, we work as a team with DHMH to determine what our response will be. And the third and most important is our community education and communications um, role here in the city. And every agency has taken this on. I'm just so impressed by the cooperation across the city. Um, we've put together an entire communication process um, and plan that includes tweets and flyers and posters, and all of our city agencies have taken this as a very important role. Um, for instance, our housing department provided 10,000 flyers to their residents in the housing units. Every single housing unit across the city received um, education from the housing inspectors. Our police community outreach workers have um, come to our ZAP training, that is our, our Zika awareness program training, um, and they are working with every community district to uh, teach the volunteers about how to protect their, their um, community organization and their community from um, the presence of mosquitoes and potential Zika. So it's just been an amazing response. And if people are interested in, in being part of our Zika ambassador team, they can visit our website at um, health.baltimorecity.gov slash Zika hyphen virus. And we would love for you to sign up. And we have uh, multiple trainings, but you can actually do it online as well. 
Excellent. And everything you just said is a reminder of how this has to be an all-hands-on-deck effort. Now, before I get to, um, to funding and, um, and some other issues, we're getting some questions, interesting questions from, from, uh, from, from Twitter. Um, again, be more health talks, hashtag, or call us at 443 Um I'd like to direct this towards uh, Dr. Atlas and Dr. Katz, if I may, about if, are there other mosquito-borne illnesses that are a threat to Baltimore um, in general, but also are there other types of threats to pregnant women similar to Zika? Well, to be honest, I don't know about other mosquito-borne illnesses in Maryland. I mean, there are clearly mosquito-borne illnesses in the world that are devastating. Um, but the impact of viral disease on newborns or unborn children is still very significant. Um, so there are viruses that are well known, such as cytomegalovirus and things like that, that mothers do contract um, that can cause severe birth defects as well. So um, it's very important to be aware of your environment and, and protect yourself that, you know, the women's obstetrician would be glad to tell them at, at any or all, all office visits. Yeah, I mean, uh, other than the viruses, but there are other protozoans, uh, toxoplasmosis. I have a woman who contracted toxoplasmosis in pregnancy and we're trying to protect her uh, infant with a CDC uh, uh, required drug that you just don't normally get. So there are many other kinds of infections that can uh, affect pregnancy as well. Although Zika seems to be somewhat unprecedented in the rapidity of the spread and the effect, as we're seeing, on, on the unborn child. Yeah, I mean, one of the questions I asked our health, uh, our DHMH was, how many cases of microcephaly do we have in our state? And it's, what's interesting is, is how incredibly few we have uh, per year. And I think that's, I think, one of the, the ideas of what is the risk and how many more cases could our state even see in the future if, if this does become a pandemic. And Dr. Haft? Yeah, so that's a, it's a great lead into this. We, we have had for a long time um, a birth defects registry um, that hospitals are voluntarily involved in reporting um, any one of a number of birth defects. Um, we also do newborn screening, as you know, on all children who are born as, as part of the statutory requirement with in, in terms of inborn errors of metabolism. But to now with this new threat, um, the Center for Disease Control has also begun a pregnancy registry. So any woman who has um, either evidence of having Zika or what we call a non-negative test, means they didn't have tests that were totally negative, um, so they may be at risk for having Zika, um, will be entered into a pregnancy registry. So going forward, we'll have a much better idea of exactly the numbers, and the, not only the numbers, but the types of birth defects that are associated with this. We know, for instance, that Zika is not, uh, microcephaly is not the only consequence of Zika. I think, as you said, deafness, blindness, seizures, cerebral palsy, perhaps autism spectrum, a whole host of other things that are consequences of um, an intrauterine encephalitis, a, vi a virus that affects the brain as it's developing, can cause all sorts of devastation. So microcephaly is only one of those manifestations. And I think in the year and years to come, we'll know what the full spectrum of those consequences are. But nonetheless, we go back to the beginning again, prevention is what we want to do now. We don't, I, would, I think we all would much rather see no consequences and see no one with these preventable birth defects than have a large registry and we know about all the tragedy that occurs. And Dr. Atlas, there's another question about how would you know if the unborn baby has microcephaly? Will they necessarily get it if the mother has contracted Zika? So the answer is, is uh, even if they contract it, it's not necessarily uh, the fetus will be affected. So it's not a, a direct one-to-one -one effect. Uh, the way that we identify evidence of microcephaly is when the size of the brain is, is more than two to three standard deviations of where it's supposed to be at the gestational age. I know that was a lot of medical terminology. Essentially, at, we, we know what the normal size of a head should be at different weeks of pregnancy, and if it's more than um, multiple standards away from that, that makes it uh, consistent with microcephaly and certainly more concerning. 
I see. And um, another question. Um, we had talked about standing water on properties of Baltimore City. You can call 311 if you are if you see standing water. Um, although we certainly advise that if it's on, on your property, that that you should take care of your own standing water and cover lids and other advice that Ms. Haller gave. The question came about: Can Baltimoreans report neighbors who aren't cleaning up, and if so, how? Yes, um, you can report by calling 311 and just tell the operator that it is a stagnant water complaint. We do ask, though, that it, if it has recently rained, um, we're really looking more towards standing water that has been there for three to five days. Um, otherwise, we'd be getting, whenever it rains, everyone would call. And that's really not uh, enough time for the breeding to take place for mosquitoes. Yeah. But yes, you can call in and you can call in anonymously. Thank you. Now to uh, Dr. Katz, is it safe to use mosquito repellent every day, especially for children? This is a question that came over the phone. Yeah, as far as I know, there are no known consequences of using um, repellent every day. Obviously, if you can avoid doing something every day, that would be great. But if your child is out at day camp and um, in the outside every single day, it's much safer to protect your child than to worry about the potential unknown side effects of uh, long-term use of mosquito repellent. Thank you very much. And we also talk about the importance of covering up when possible, of, um, of, of being, being watchful with the types of, for, for the times of the day. And so, Ms. Goodman, are there times of the day that people should be, in particular, watching out for ABs, bubble pictures? Uh, the problem is, is they bite all day. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cover up all day long. That's true. Um, it, it's, it's, it's true. I mean, so personal protectant, DEET, is, is probably the, the best route if you're going to be outside. Um, um, to protect yourself against mosquitoes because they all they are all day biters. Um, I appreciate it. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> now, uh, we have just a little bit of time left and I'd like for all of our guests in one sentence, if you can, to talk about what is the most important thing for us to do as a community to prevent an outbreak. Starting with Dr. Haft. Certainly. So I think it goes back to, again to easily to prevention and I think it's preventing mosquito bites and preventing sexual transmission. So if you understand the, the risk for mosquito bites and you can protect yourself and, and rid your environment of mosquitoes, you'll be safe on that side. And if you're a woman who is pregnant or who may become pregnant, understand the, the associated risks from your partner. Um, and I think if we, can, if we can all understand and embrace and be engaged in those things, we'll be in much better shape. Thank you. I think uh, reducing travel, uh, for those who are thinking of, of becoming pregnant, um, and if you're traveling, I think, as we talked about before, uh, with men either abstaining from sex for at least two months or wearing a condom is incredibly important. The other thing I wanted to thank is the health department for putting together bags of Zika um, uh, items that can be helpful, including DEET and condoms that uh, we have now uh, received and we are now giving out to uh, pregnant women. So I wanted to thank uh, them for, for providing that to providers and uh, we'll do our part. Excellent. Thank you, Dr. Atlas. Ms. Goodwin. Um, I mean, I, I agree with, with uh, what's already been said right now, prevention, um, and then maybe education. I mean, some people don't know about standing water. Uh, make sure your neighbor knows. Um, we encounter that a little bit in our research. So um, get out, communicate with your neighbors, try to eliminate habitat. I'm going to take a little different tact. Um, if the United States Congress could approve the uh, $1.9 billion, uh, that would go a long way towards uh, improving the health of this country. Uh, if you think about the CDC's comment that a case of Zika could cost $10 million um, over the lifetime of a patient, it would only take 100 cases to cause to rack up a billion dollars. So this is not a lot of money in the comparison to what could be saved um, by you know, funding it now. Thank you very much. I totally agree with you. So far, I've agreed with what everyone said, but I'm just, I just want to point out um, what Dr. Wen said. This is all hands on deck, and everyone needs to take personal responsibility to um, rid their yards of, of harborage for mosquitoes, wear mosquito repellent to ensure that they're not getting bit up, and protecting their neighbors. Yes, just to reiterate what the others have been saying, um, it really is just about prevention and reducing habitat for the most part and protecting yourself using appropriate repellents. Um, the other thing is, consider becoming a Zika ambassador as part of our Zika ambassador program. There's a wealth of information. There's um, a, 
presentation that you can be provided. You can meet with your community groups and just communicate with others and spread the word as best you can about this important issue. Dr. Chan. And I, you know, echo everything that everyone has said. I would also say make sure um, that you are educated. I think that this forum was an important way for you, um, the listeners, to become educated about Zika, uh, by becoming informed, and in particular, travelers. Um, at this point, we don't know that of any mosquitoes who are traveling here themselves that are carrying Zika. So it really is people who are traveling um, who pose the potential risk um, when they return. So travelers to these countries, please take precautions when you return. Thank you, and I'd like to say a, uh, my gratitude to all of our guests uh, for, for coming to share your expertise. As all of you have emphasized, there are, there's so much that we do know about Zika, there's so much that we don't know about Zika, and I appreciate your sharing your expertise, sharing your time, um, and helping us to debunk myths while also providing tangible, practical tips for, for us in, in moving forward. Especially because, as we've said, this is an all-hands-on-deck effort because there is no cure, there's no vaccine, prevention is the most important thing that we can do. And there are specific things that each of us can do in our yard, um, when it comes to standing water, becoming involved in the community, um, but also being wary of where it is that we are traveling to. And so we emphasize again that the danger is for pregnant women. And so if you are pregnant, um, do not travel to areas um, with active Zika transmission ongoing. Certainly, if you are thinking about it, please speak with your doctor um, and speak of, and understand, uh, make an informed choice so that you understand the risks involved in it. And for those of you who would like to help us on the front lines, um, uh, help us to, uh, to get the funding that we need in order to prepare for this epidemic by calling your member of Congress and by um, advocating for public health being not just for a slow crisis that's in the making all the time, but for addressing it up front so that we can protect those in our community who are the most vulnerable. So I hope that you all share the information on this call with others. Um, as you know, Be More Health Talks is meant to be um, a citywide effort to reduce health disparities, share and collaborate, and align our goals towards One Baltimore. So we hope that you all tweet, call, or email us at any time if you have thoughts about your areas of expertise and the work that you are doing, um, and suggestions for future topics and speakers as well. Our next Be More Health Talk will be Friday, July 22nd, and we will be discussing gun violence as a public health issue. I, we hope that you will join us then, and until then, please uh, please stay well, stay healthy, and um, this is Dr. Lena Webb from the Baltimore City Health Department. Thank you, everyone.